You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Those stories for you in just a moment. But first, breaking details about two bear attacks. Yeah, they both happened in Squamish today. Our Jordan Armstrong is live with some of the details about how this all happened. Jordan. Chris, these were separate attacks involving different black bears from the same family. Conservation officers say both happened on the Squamish Estuary Trail Network. That's an area just west of downtown Squamish. The estuary is now closed and the Conservation Service is pleading with locals to stay out of the area. Barricades and signage are up, but there are many hidden access points off of backyards and such. Officials say they're navigating a difficult situation here. It's a wildlife area, but at the same time, it is close to hundreds of homes. And these bears were displaying aggressive behavior. And this morning we had an initial report of a runner that encountered a bear and was attacked by a sow. She also, she, she was aware there was a cub involved. Uh, so the female bear attacked her. So it was a surprise attack. Uh, she suffered some injuries. She seeked medical attention. And um, 30 minutes later, we had another report of a, a walker in the same location encountered the same family unit and was also attacked uh, by the cub this time. That is a, a cub, not a cub of the year, not a small bear, but uh, it's what we call a yearling, a bigger bear that uh, jumped on her and uh, scratched her severely in the, in the face. He stresses they haven't made any decisions yet on the fate of the bears, so it's not clear if they'll be trapped and relocated. If you witnessed anything this morning or happened to see these bears beyond the estuary, you're asked to call the number on your screen, 1-877-952-7277. Chris. All right, let's hope this ends well. Thanks, Jordan. Sentencing has been handed down for a couple involved in a racist incident at a Richmond coffee shop last year. As Julie Nolan reports, it was just one of several shocking incidents at a time when anti-Asian attacks were on the rise. A couple charged with mischief after a racist incident at a Richmond coffee shop head into court for sentencing. But not before flipping off activists outside Richmond Provincial Court. Astrid Maria Sacriv and Michelle Jean-Jacques Bethune both charged with mischief following a heated exchange at a coffee shop in March 2021 where employees were trying to enforce COVID protocols. The divorced couple in their 70s took exception to the rules yelling F you Chinese and the coronavirus is you. They dumped their coffees on the floor and left. The judge called the actions brazen and destructive and yet to express real remorse, adding they've taken the position that their criminal conduct is acceptable, later adding their actions were totally over the edge for what our society can accept. After their actions were denounced by the judge, they were each given 12 months probation with several conditions. It shows that there is no room of racism in Canada. Reaction outside court was one of acceptance with no criticism for the judge. She did a lot of research and she did a lot of work. Even though uh, it is not uh, uh, what they call a typical uh, hate crime, uh, but it is a hate-motivated crime. So uh, this is uh, you know, her decision. This is very important. This sends a very important message to the society. The judge also stated it was unlikely the couple could be rehabilitated in any way given their age. Also, each ordered to pay a $100 victim surcharge. Any thoughts on the sentencing today? And no comment as they left court, hoping to leave this chapter behind them. Any comments at all? Julie Nolan, Global News.
The jury at a coroner's inquest is being asked to consider a man's state of mind before he was shot and killed by police outside a Canadian tire store. The inquest into the death of Daniel Rintoul heard what investigators found in his home after he died and a warning, it is disturbing. Aaron MacArthur reports. The coroner's inquest hearing from Vancouver police detectives who went to Daniel Rintoul's home in the aftermath of the rampage at the Canadian Tire in November of 2016. What investigators found there speaks volumes to the man's state of mind in the days before he was shot and killed. Detectives testified Thursday they went to Rintoul's address looking for evidence, including a possible motive for his actions. Photos presented to the coroner's jury indicate Rintoul lived in disarray, and he appeared to have been served with an eviction notice. His few belongings stuffed inside two hockey bags. There was also a disturbing letter taped to the wall, written in response to his eviction, threatening extreme violence. The undated note reads, I decided to murder-suicide everyone in the house. I bought two five-liter gasoline jerry cans to burn the house down. Detectives say neatly arranged on the bed were the two gas cans, three bottles of lighter fluid, and a large knife. The inquest so far has focused largely on the incident itself and the immediate aftermath. More Vancouver police officers on the stand today testifying. Friday, the inquest takes a turn, instead hearing from use of force experts, as well as mental health experts from Vancouver Coastal Health. Aaron McCarthy, Global News. And a warning about our next story as well. It contains some pretty troubling details. A woman accused in the gruesome murder of her twin sister has been found not criminally responsible due to mental illness. Kamal Karamali reports. The B.C. Supreme Court judge found Tracy Chen not criminally responsible for the murder of her sister Ivy because psychiatric evaluations found she was suffering from paranoid schizophrenia when she killed her twin. The partial remains of 36-year-old Ivy Chen were found in Coquitlam's Minicata Park in March of 2020 after police had been called to a report of a suspicious fire. Justice Michael Brundrett's decision found that her twin sister, Tracy, had stabbed her to death inside the home they both shared. That She then sawed up her body into pieces and tried to dissolve it into acid. When that didn't work, she took what remained of her body to a wooded area in Coquitlam, put it into a large pot and lit that pot on fire. Chen had been charged with first-degree murder and committing an indignity to a dead body. Both the Crown and Defence Council conducted psychiatric evaluations where doctors determined she suffered from paranoid schizophrenia and that her mental state didn't allow her to know what she was doing was morally wrong. She told psychiatric doctors that she got a message from God to kill her sister because her sister had been taken over by other entities and that she was being controlled by the government of Canada and that if she didn't kill her sister, her twin would eventually kill her. Evidence that was gathered from Ms. Chen's mother uh, and the victim's mother, of course, uh, were that uh, Ms. Chen had been exhibiting signs of distrusting and uh, being antagonistic to her sister as far back as 2012. She's not a well person, uh, but she was grateful uh, for, um, I think, this outcome. Uh, I, I think she 
has some understanding of what occurred and uh, feels terribly about that, and I think she'll have to deal with that for the rest of her life. Now, Tracy Chen will remain at a psychiatric facility, and her condition will be assessed by a review board regularly. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Vancouver police say a 37-year-old man is dead after he was stabbed in East Vancouver last night. And they're asking people to be vigilant because they don't know if it was random or targeted. The attack happened near Renfrew and Gravely Streets about 5 p.m. yesterday. The victim was taken to hospital where he later died of his injuries. BPD says no arrests have been made. They are asking anyone with video from the area around that time to please come forward. This is the city's 10th homicide of the year. And Surrey RCMP are investigating what they are describing as a targeted shooting that's left a man in hospital. Police were called to a home in the 13500 block of 89th Avenue near Bear Creek Park at around 5 p.m. yesterday. There they found a 25-year-old man suffering from gunshot wounds. He's now listed in stable condition. Security cam video shows a man dressed completely in black running from the scene. A suspect fled in a stolen, dark-colored Ford F-150. Earlier this morning, uh, we received a call of a vehicle on fire. This vehicle was in the 13300 block of 88A Avenue. Uh, we are trying to determine whether this is our suspect vehicle. However, the description of the suspect vehicle and the burnt-out vehicle is very close. Investigators are now looking for a motive, but say the shooting does not appear to be connected to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict. Anyone with information is asked to contact Surrey RCMP. All right, turning now to the weather and the latest atmospheric river is bringing a lot of rain and high wind to the south coast, even snow in some areas. Sarah McDonald is out in the elements for us tonight. Apologies that we made you do that tonight, Sarah, but it feels like we've gone from... <laughs> Summer to winter in a very short time. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got the good assignment tonight, Chris. As you said, it is hard to believe that just over a week ago, we were all wondering where the rain was. Well, here, obviously, it is falling. And as you mentioned, snow as well is coming down in some areas uh, and lots of it. This rain and this heavy wind and the snow in some higher elevation areas are the effects of yet another atmospheric river that is soaking the south coast. No matter where you are tonight, it is likely you're getting a bit soggy. Everywhere from Metro Vancouver to the Fraser Valley to the Sunshine Coast to the Gulf Islands are being hit by this weather system and as we get to higher elevations of course that precipitation is falling as snow the Coquihalla highway uh, is seeing winter driving conditions as you can imagine tonight and today snow tires have been mandated on mountain passes since last month but because of the mild conditions we've had a lot of people are scrambling to only get them on now if drivers are unsure of what tires they have, if their tires are suitable for winter driving, um, the best way to tell is if they've got that Three Peak Mountain Snowflake symbol on their tire. That shows that it's either an all-weather tire that's gone through the same testing as a winter tire or that it's a true winter tire uh, that's dedicated for winter. Now, because of this weather, warming centers and shelter spaces are being opened up tonight to help those without housing, which is good news. More good news for those who don't love the rain, which is likely most of us, is things are expected to taper off by tomorrow morning. Chris, Sophie. All right, Sarah, thanks very much for standing out there for us tonight. And a serious crash north of Pemberton at this hour where driving conditions are hazardous. RCMP say a pickup truck collided with a dump truck just after two this afternoon on Pemberton Portage Road in Birkin. The driver of the pickup suffered what police call undisclosed injuries. 
dump truck driver remained on scene. The road is closed and it's causing significant delays. Police are urging motorists to drive with caution as heavy snowfall is making for slick conditions. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more. Christy, this storm clearly already having an impact. What do we need to know about the next mm -hmm. few hours? Well, for the South Coast, I think what you need to know is that although we still could see some wet flakes, which we have in West Vancouver, North Vancouver, Burnaby, temperatures dropped to about one degree this evening. That's really all we're going to see is that wet snow likely this evening. Temperatures were actually going to warm up overnight. So by morning hours, we could see four or five degrees and certainly a transition back to rain, this atmospheric river pulling in that mild air. But it's more so the roads I'm concerned about, the highway. So anywhere north of Brandywine along the Sea to Sky, heavy snow tonight 10 centimeters expected with another 10 possible through the morning hours tomorrow all of these areas that you see here that are going to see snow will see a transition to rain but not until likely the noon or afternoon hours tomorrow so heavy snow avoid travel definitely over the next few hours so back to you all right we'll get the full forecast from you in a bit thanks christy bright nights at stanley park will mark its silver anniversary this year but without its signature attraction the popular Christmas train ride through the park won't happen this holiday season. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, it won't return until ongoing safety and mechanical issues are fixed. Stanley Park's miniature train is much loved. Since 1998, it has been the feature at Bright Nights, helping raise more than $2.5 million for the BC Professional Firefighters Burn Fund, which assists burn survivors and their families. But this holiday season, there will be no train. It's disappointing. Uh, I think everybody would agree it's disappointing that we aren't going to have the train uh, for bright nights this year. Earlier this year, the park board said the train had mechanical issues and didn't pass inspection. Now, Technical Safety BC has told Global News the main safety concerns were corrosion and damage to track lines and rail cars, overgrown vegetation disrupting sight lines and decaying infrastructure, and requirement for a full condition report from a third-party contractor. Uh, I think that was saying something about how the park board especially was being what really is mismanaged. Technical Safety BC also says it advised the train operator that as soon as concerns were addressed, we would be able to inspect the train for public use without delay. A lot of that vegetation has been cleared now. The tracks are in good shape. What's really outstanding at this point is the trains and the carriages themselves. Uh, that piece, um, if you'll note in the Technical Safety BC report, we do require a third party contractor to come in and help us with that inspection and verification. At this point, we haven't been able to get a contractor on site. There will be a version of Bright Nights this year, from December 1st until January 1st, with free admission and free parking. Without the train, it gives us the opportunity to have some live music every night and uh, enhance the, the plaza and the light displays that we're going to offer. But without the beloved vintage train, it remains unclear if the event will draw the crowds and the donations needed for the burn fund. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. There are the elevated roads to nowhere. Vancouver's viaducts were supposed to connect to a highway that never happened. So why haven't they been demolished like the city promised? Well, it turns out that's a little more complicated than anyone anticipated. We'll show you why next on the News Hour. 
A BC photographer spends months in the company of polar bears. How it helped him achieve a dream later. And a BC dog that can really fly. How Hawkeye wowed the crowd at the recent North American Diving Dog Championship coming up. Right now, though, a new Vancouver City Council will be sworn in next week, and sooner or later, they will have to confront an issue that has lingered for decades. What to do with the Georgia and Dunsmuir viaducts? Previous plans to demolish the structures have fallen flat, and as Paul Johnson reports, the big question of who pays remains unanswered. Ever feel like you just can't follow through on plans you've made? Well, consider the long story of Vancouver's Georgia viaduct. Originally conceived as part of a grand strategy to bring a freeway through downtown. After that was kiboshed, it lived on as kind of an expressway to nowhere. Ready for a vote? In 2015, City Council came up with a great idea. Build housing there and get developers to pay for knocking it down. Fast forward seven plus years later, um, there is no funding set aside for this initiative. As a new council and mayor are poised to be sworn in, there's recognition now that times have changed, costs have gone up, and there's no big developer stepping up to write a check. It was also predicated by a time when there was a lot of foreign investment, there was a lot of appetite for big strata condo developments. Green Party Councillor Pete Fry got into politics because of the viaduct and says on top of the old reasons for tearing it down, there's a compelling new one, the new St. Paul's Hospital, which probably won't be well served by a frequently congested pseudo-highway in the neighborhood. I'm glad that the new mayor and council in Vancouver are having a look at this. On Thursday, Transportation Minister Rob Fleming weighed in with a hint that Victoria could get involved but made no promises. We're certainly willing to sit down with the city of Vancouver, the new mayor and council, and talk about where they're at. Originally scheduled to come down two years ago, engineers suspect it wouldn't last through a big earthquake. But so far, the old concrete and steel is holding up quite well against the intentions of the city's political establishment. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Just ahead, the federal government offers up some goodies. We're able to provide targeted support to the most vulnerable. Who stands to gain from the fall fiscal picture and how the government will pay for it? Also ahead, while you struggle to make ends meet, grocery companies make record profits and critics want to know why. It's very busy on the major routes this afternoon, including a crash that's slowing down traffic at the Nystrom Bridge southbound before Mitchell Island and just cleared a crash northbound Alex Fraser Bridge. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Amber Belter. Finance Minister Christia Freeland tabled her fall economic statement today. The mini-budget includes measures like eliminating interest on federal student loans. But as Global's Mackenzie Gray reports, it also contains prudent spending in anticipation of an economic slowdown. It was all smiles outside the House of Commons, but inside... The Honourable Deputy Prime Minister, Minister of Finance. A reality check on Canada's economic future. Canada cannot avoid the global slowdown any more than we could have avoided COVID once it had begun infecting the world. But we will be ready. Indeed, we are ready. 
That global slowdown and inflation meant a change in tune for Finance Minister Christian Freeland and a fall economic statement with much more limited spending. One of the few new promises? Cancelling interest payments on federal student loans. For low-income workers, some relief. The government will move up the payment schedule of the Canada Workers' Benefit, a benefit paid to 3 million Canadians worth about 1400 a year for single workers and 2500 for households. It will now be paid out in quarterly installments rather than once a year at tax time. Thanks to that enviable economic performance, we're able to provide targeted support to the most vulnerable. Freeland turned to Corporate Canada to raise more revenue, proposing a 2% tax on companies that buy back their own shares. But she's also trying to spur more business investment by offering a new tax credit for firms that invest in low-carbon technologies and outlined a plan for a $15 billion growth fund. The government's kept a lot of its powder dry to be able to make stronger moves in a number of areas that they've signaled in this fiscal update. With big pandemic spending finished, Freeland has now adopted a slightly more cautious fiscal approach. In April, Freeland's budget projected a nearly $53 billion deficit, but with higher revenues from oil and gas, low unemployment and inflation, the government is now forecasting a $36 billion deficit by next year. And for the first time ever, the Trudeau government has a target to a balanced budget, but not until 2027-2028. That still doesn't satisfy so, the opposition. Conservatives will stand for the common people, their paychecks, their homes, their savings, and we will vote against this inflationary trend. The Finance Department is projecting that growth will slow to nearly 0% in the final quarter of 2022. But the good news? They're also projecting that Canada will narrowly be able to stay out of a recession in 2023. Mackenzie Gray, Global News, Ottawa. Costs are soaring for just about everything right now, and many are struggling to even afford the basics. But new research shows Canada's three biggest supermarkets made more money this year than their average over the last five years. And critics are accusing them of profiteering. Nitu Garcha reports. Customers at this independent grocer in B.C. are searching for deals on produce. There's lots of small independent green grocers especially. You can get really good produce at, at a much fairer price. While food prices are rising at the fastest rate in more than four decades, major grocery chains are being accused of price gouging and so-called greedflation. New research suggests the country's top three grocers saw higher profits this year compared to their average performances over the last five years. And Loblaws is outperforming its best gross profit over that same period by $180 million. Over the last six months, Loblaws has generated a million dollars per day more than their record year, uh, which, is, which is quite a bit. And so it begs the question, whether or not these profits are coming from food sales or sales from other departments. This Canadian researcher says a key issue is a lack of transparency, highlighting a need for companies to make their financial results more accessible. In the Canadian territories, it's a different picture. One of the few grocery retailers there, Northwest Co., and the biggest beneficiary of the federal northern food program, saw a reduction in sales, but an increase in profits in the past year. In 2020, it saw an 82% rise in profits. The government should probably be stepping in and taking some measures. Some places, it seems like it's, yeah, the profit margin is quite high. Um, but if it were regulated, you know, that would make a big difference. 
The rising cost of food has prompted the Competition Bureau of Canada to study the industry as grocers defend their profits, saying margins haven't changed. Neetu Garsha, Global News. Coming up, a groundbreaking agreement to take better care of seniors. The flaws families found during the COVID pandemic, what the province is doing to correct them. Plus, jumping for joy, how a trip to the North American Dog Diving Championships paid off for this Nanaimo pooch. Take a moment to reflect. BC Remembers, live on Global BC and BC One, Friday, November 11th from 10.30 a.m. Brought to you by the Royal Canadian Legion. We remember to honour Canada's veterans. There on all the major routes, uh, just ex made much worse by the weather, and we cleared a few problems, but still heavy volume for eastbound Highway 1 from the iron workers all the way through to east of Gallardi, and then it looks good to the Portman. Through a charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Centre. In the Global Traffic Centre, I'm Amber Belzer. The province is making some big changes to how it communicates with long-term care homes, hoping it improves care for seniors. The COVID-19 pandemic hit residents in long-term care the hardest. Not only the virus, but the isolation and ongoing restrictions. Richard Zussman explains how these changes will help their voices be heard. The strain of the COVID-19 pandemic still lingering on the voices of those with loved ones in long-term care. The chain of communication will give resident and family councils the tools to ensure that all long-term care homes are interpreting the rules and suggestions the same way. COVID-19 hitting those in LTC as hard as anyone. A lack of consistent communication. Long-term care residents isolated. Rules created but not always followed. Problems in part, the province promising to fix. First of all, it's the law that uh, information must be shared, The councils must meet. On Thursday, Health Minister Adrian Dix announcing people in long-term care homes will have more input into their daily lives. The creation of a uniform policy pushing long-term care homes to establish family councils. So now that we have that voice, we can sort of provide that heads up that, look, this needs to be attended to. Some care homes currently have these family councils, a group of people similar to a condo strata who meet regularly and raise resident concerns. Those concerns must legally be passed on from the care home operator to either the health ministry or the health authority with a promise to act. I believe that the involvement of people means better care. And it sometimes means challenging authorities. The BC Greens say they support any measures that improve communication for loved ones in long-term care, but say that this sort of policy is far short of the big changes that are needed in long-term care. We're in a crisis point right now, but what are the longer-term measures that can be taken? Address airborne transmission of not just COVID, but of other respiratory viruses. Concerns the Greens raise that now with this policy change, families and residents will also have a greater chance of raising at the provincial level if they choose. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Balbury joins us now uh, with uh, more healthcare news. And healthcare was a dominant issue today in question period, mm -hmm. Keith. Concerns about Children's Hospital bracing for what could be a serious influx of patients. 
Exactly what's happening in Quebec and Ontario right now, Sophie. Uh, hospitals in, in Montreal reporting pediatric wards and hospitals at 250% of capacity. Ottawa is at 190% of capacity. And these are kids with respiratory illnesses. Sonia Firstenau got her hands on an internal BC Children's Hospital memo to staff saying brace yourself for what could be a very busy fall. But Health Minister Asian Dick says this was anticipated all along. Hospitals are discharging people, they're delaying essential surgeries, and they're past their breaking point. On top of it, they're preparing for things to get worse. Yesterday, BC Children's Hospital wrote a memo to staff stating they are establishing an emergency operations centre, anticipating that things for children are going to get worse. And nothing is worse for a parent than when you need care for your child, and it's not there. My question, Honourable Speaker, is to the Minister of Health. What does he say to the people who can't get care for themselves, for their elders, and for their children in our health care system right now? Yes. We are preparing for this fall and winter. Yes. In a global health emergency, a COVID-19 pandemic, we're preparing. This was announced and laid forward. This was announced and presented to the people of BC uh, two months ago to demonstrate that that preparation is happening, to prepare every health care facility for what is expected to be, because of what's happened, for example, in the Southern Hemisphere, a more challenging flu and COVID influenza and COVID-19 season in our hospitals. So given what we're seeing uh, take place in Ontario and Quebec, I checked with health officials today to see what the situation is in B.C. right now. And they say so far we are nowhere near the situation, seriousness of the situation that we're seeing unfold in Ontario and Quebec. But it's the beginning of the respiratory illness season. It's not the end of it. So fingers crossed we don't get into as bad a situation as we're seeing back east. Let's hope. Thank you, Keith. All right. All right still ahead, an amazing Arctic adventure. Beans, uh... The GoPro. The BC photographer who fulfilled a dream spending two summers with a family of polar bears. Also coming up, a BC dog who loves to dive, and it turns out he's really, really good at it. The wintry weather is hitting uh, parts of BC, Christy, and it's already causing troubles on the Coquihalla. Mm -hmm. Getting word from Drive BC that uh, the Coquihalla north between Hope and Merritt is closed due to a vehicle incident. So we'll keep an eye on that. But you were warning us about it. Yeah, we certainly did, Sophie. Also problems on that Highway 97, sort of the uh, Bigby Summit area, uh, north of Whistler as well, but pretty much anywhere along Sea to Sky Highway north of Brandywine is a concern for tonight. Uh, so we absolutely do not travel the mountain passes tonight. We are going to see a transition to rain tomorrow by the afternoon hours, so just wait till tomorrow afternoon. You'll have a far better time. Um, we had snowfall even lower down here, and I'll show you how cold it got or how cold it is even right now, but I just want to show you this atmospheric river it is exceptional and this is really that um, traditional sort of style atmospheric river where it's pulling that tropical moisture and basically funneling it directly at the south coast now this evening temperatures dropped to about one degree it was one degree in west vancouver but it looks like that cooler air mass is shifting a little bit further east uh, coquitlam at one degree and we're getting reports of snowfall in port moody right now uh, that's really all we're going to see is wet snow this evening in fact temperatures are going to continue to warm up overnight by morning 
15 hours, you can expect four or five degrees. A heavy rain expected throughout the day tomorrow. When this is all said and done, 70 centimeters of snow and all of those areas with snowfall warning for tonight and tomorrow morning, that is also going to transition to rain and melt away. Uh, so we could see some low-lying concerns of flooding. Uh, tomorrow evening, I'm concerned about um, winds once again, especially across the southern tip of Vancouver Island and then spreading into coastal regions here. So it's not too bad right now. I'm actually expecting it to continue to be as such in terms of the winds, but we could see it pick up tomorrow afternoon, uh, maybe even a little bit earlier than that for the southern part of Vancouver Island. Potential for gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour off that southern tip with potential for uh, power outages. But certainly wet and windy for our Friday. It looks like we come out of it in time for some sunshine on Saturday. Heads up, though, we have the possibility for snow Sunday evening. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Bull River, which I had to research. It's just near um, uh, Cranbrook. Beautiful shot there. Thank you to Linda Richardson showing the fall colors and, of course, the snowfall we've had today. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Just saying. <laughs> How many shopping days left? Don't answer that. <laughs> I heard Mariah Carey oh, today, so boy. Okay. already over. Not yet. All right. <laughs> a Vancouver dog owner is on the way home to Nanaimo with a silver medal from the North American Diving Dog Championships. And as Kylie Stanton reports, Hawkeye's handlers hope his success stokes interest in a sport for other four-legged athletes. This is our big jumper. Uh, Traveling in style to the biggest stage they've ever been on. Got a hold of a motorhome. Yeah, it's a big trip. Roughly 7,000 kilometers round trip between Nanaimo and Springfield, Missouri. But these dogs know a thing or two about going the distance. It was pretty exciting. His jump was amazing. Hawkeye, a five-year-old lurcher, launched his way into a second-place finish in the elite division at the North American Diving Dogs Championships. His best distance, 27 feet, 9 inches. I didn't think he would even qualify for top 10, but he surprised us completely. The goal now is to get Hawkeye jumping a distance of 30 feet. What would qualify him to compete with the top dogs in North America as part of the premier division? And it's not far-fetched. Oh, yeah, six inches away. <laughs> Ready, set, go! He'll be working towards that here at Nanaimo's Pooch Pool School, the first officially sanctioned dog diving facility on Vancouver Island. It opened in the summer of last year and has been gaining popularity ever since. We need to be able to practice. You know, in order to practice, you need to learn how to throw the, your bumper. You need to know how to release your dog, where to, when to throw the bumper for the dog. Yay! That hard work has paid off. And now bringing home this title not only adds some clout, but possibly some more interest as well. Dogs love it and uh, it's, yeah. It's great. Hopefully we'll get a lot more people into the sport. Turns out you can teach an old dog new tricks. Kylie Stanton, Global News. It just looks fun. It sure does. <laughs> I want to do that. They need a bigger pool, though. Those dogs are yeah. very, they're flying very far. No kidding. Uh, okay, Squire's here. And I was going to say, do you ever notice dogs always do the dog paddle when they swim? Funny, it's a really hey? good point. It's the only stroke they know for some. I know. You, you've never seen one do a breaststroke or a backstroke <laughs> or anything. Okay, it's retirement night mm -hmm. for Kevin Bieksa, even though he hasn't played here in a long time. He's going out as a Canuck after signing a one-day contract. This organization has always treated me with first class and my family, and everything just felt so good. It's, like, it was, it's a weird feeling to describe, but it's like, it's like being home. 
They even let him skate with today's Canucks at practice, and he almost looked good enough to play tonight. Looking forward to that. Thanks, Squire. Also coming up, living with polar bears. How Martin Grigas turned his passion project into a budding photography career. It's always interesting when Kevin Bieksa is doesn't in front love of a Kevin Bieksa. He's, He's always a good guy to have around here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the Canucks, as we said, are retiring him tonight or today, I guess, as a Canuck. They signed him to a one-day contract, so he could do that. Uh, they might have thought about asking him to play against Anaheim tonight with the way the defense looked against New Jersey the other day. But this is a game on the surface. You would think the Canucks would have a decent chance to win, but Vancouver is last in the NHL. Even Anaheim is higher in the standings. Spencer Martin is scheduled to start in goal. Hasn't lost in regulation in the NHL. Always gives the Canucks at least a point when he has played. Uh, Brock Besser doesn't have clearance to play, so you won't see him. Now, going back to the game against Jersey, the Canucks' power play did allow a shorthanded goal, but they did score two, two with the man advantage. Well, you know, it's funny when we're, like, when we're not scoring, I feel like I'm telling you guys we're doing a lot of good things, but it doesn't feel, it's not all you know, sunshine right now on the power play. We're getting some goals, but I think from a standpoint of where we expect our level of play to be in a execution and a winning puck battles and shot of, getting shots in the net, we're not where we want to be. So we're going to challenge ourselves to be better. The goals are great, but at the same time, there's a right way to play in the power play, and I think we can play a little bit better there. Okay, now to Kevin Bieksa, the man who scored the goal to put the Canucks in the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals against uh, San Jose. When we first heard about him signing a one-day contract with Vancouver to retire as a Canuck, we all thought, hadn't he already retired? Well, not officially. And even though he finished his playing days with Anaheim, he was and is always more Canuck than he was Anaheim Duck. This was an idea that was hatched when Jim Benning was the general manager, but Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine we're more than happy to give Bieksa his day to retire as a Canuck. Kevin Bieksa may have played his last game in the NHL as a member of the Anaheim Ducks, but there's no doubt where his heart's always been. Well, I never wanted to leave this organization. And then fast forward to my last year, I, I was asked, and I understand it's a business, I was asked, your contract's expiring. You know, Cass already left, Burr was on his way out. Uh, we're, we're going young, get it, you know, business, but I never wanted to leave. I still said, uh, actually, can I stay? And they're like, no, like, I think you got to leave. And <laughs> so I never actually wanted to leave, but I did, obviously. And then, but this, I always consider this home. I always considered myself a Canuck. Bieksa was always a fan favorite and a favorite in the locker room in his playing days. The kind of guy who always stood up for teammates, whether they were star players or fourth liners. Like, my wife put together a little video with, I think, like, 55 of my ex-Canucks teammates, all giving, like, a little blurb. And I, I teared up. And, uh, turn them. <laughs> but, like, just everyone mentioned, like, you're a good teammate. You're fun to be around. I think that's super important to me. So today, BX signed a one-day contract, took the morning skate with the Canucks, and will get his retirement ceremony tonight coming back and walking into this arena it was such a good feeling stepping on the ice I don't know if you guys saw the morning skate but I dominated out there <laughs> but uh, just like that ice felt good again it's, it's just a weird feeling to describe it's so many good memories with Kevin Vieksa he turned out to be a much better player than we thought he was so he played a very valuable role as a player he was tough durable just a leader and uh, I'm not surprised he's turned into a star on television too well you have two two veteran guys going at it Bieksa is already very successful at his new job as a studio analyst. He's finding out it's not that much different than his old one. He just fights a little less. 
Every time you zoom in, I just look at this massive jacket. <laughs> if I could get another button like right here. I came in and honestly, like I approached it like being on a hockey team. I, I just wanted to be a good teammate, make it light, a little levity here, joke there, tease this person, but they know that I still care about them. Rick Boness and the uh, Winnipeg Jets against Martin San Luis and the Montreal Canadiens. Spoiler alert, I already gave away the score. Anyway. After two periods, it's 2-2, but that's worth watching. That goal by Nick Suzuki. Look at this. The Canadiens captain driving the net, gets knocked in. He goes in, puck goes in, 1-0 Montreal. Now, Pierre-Luc Dubois, power play, scores. But Suzuki again is in on the next Canadiens goal. And this will be a, a rebound that goes right to Kirby Dock. They're after two periods, just starting the third. Well, they're after the second. It's 2-2 Montreal and Winnipeg. The BC Lions, of course, are starting their road to this year's Grey Cup Sunday at home against Calgary, 1.30 start time. The Grey Cup this year is in Regina on November 20th, so it's likely going to be cold. But two years from now, the Grey Cup will be much warmer because it's going to be at BC Place 2024. It was announced today. It's the 17th time the Grey Cup will be held in Vancouver, either at BC Place with that roof, the old roof, or Old Empire Stadium. We haven't had the Grey Cup in Vancouver, though, since 2014. Over hey, hey, the way it's going, we might have the roof open in November here. <laughs> you never, never know. know. <laughs> Thanks, Squire. Up next, the Surrey photographer who spent a summer with the polar bears and how it paid off in a big way. A Surrey photographer with a passion for polar bears has landed a coveted spread in National Geographic. Martin Grigas won an international award for the photos he took, and now the rest of the world will see his talent too. Jay Durant shows us how it all began on This Is BC. These are the bears we were looking for this entire time. This was just a passion project at the start, but Martin Gregus's images of polar bears have received worldwide recognition, although it took some convincing for him to share his work. My dad looked at me and he's like, you're entering wildlife photographer this year, right? I'm like, eh, you know, maybe, I don't know. And he's like, you have to enter with these pictures. He won the award and just landed a nine-page spread in National Geographic. Awards come and go, but that's going to stay with you forever. Like National Geographic, you're always going to be in that publication. That's never going away. And then we have a male or female coming up way in the back there. For two straight summers, the expedition set up shop in northern Manitoba. Our little uh, home away from home. Months spent in the middle of nowhere, capturing images from every angle. No one prepared us for what was going to happen. No one knew what we were going to see. Some surprise moments. And unforeseen setbacks along the way. Is it not going? I'm going in! I'm going in! for the chance to get close to the Arctic's apex predator. When I'm there, I don't really feel in danger. I almost feel in danger when I get back home and I look at the pictures and I'm like, wow, that was, uh, that was insane what we did. Beans uh, ate the GoPro. Martin learned photography from his dad who was with him up north for a bit. When he was a kid, his goal is to make National Geographic by the age of 24. He's 26, pretty close. Now I'm looking at four bears. I'm sure there's some sitting in the rocks. It's un unreal. 
And still a great age to see his career take off, thanks to a little passion project and his love of polar bears. Being in that presence with the polar bears, it's nothing short of magical. Jay Durant, Global News. Beautiful. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, last word on the weather and some of that snow rolling into parts of BC anyway. Christy? Mm -hmm. While heavy snow on all the mountain passes, do not travel tonight. Tomorrow morning, it will be much better tomorrow afternoon as temperatures warm up. And for our region, we're seeing a bit of wet snow still in parts of the lower mainland, but that is also going to change over to rain as temperatures warm up into tomorrow morning. Still heavy rain, though, expected tomorrow and very strong winds tomorrow afternoon and evening. All right, thanks, Christy. Happy retirement, Kevin BXA. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all.